0: One of the biggest causes of fear or anxiety for people in this world is only one word. It's just one word. That's called change. Hmm. Change is the root cause of all fear and anxiety. When the COVID happened, the most popular serials were still Ramayana and Mahabharata, which was from that generation. Because it captures the essence of what each one of us go through. That we will be subject to all kinds of trauma and we will have no control. Even the supreme controller, Rama, has no control when he will go to the forest. Krishna will have no control how his own family members, the Yadavas, destroy each other in a fratricidal war. Krishna has no control, even over Duryodhana, he's trying to control him, but he can't be. So all of these episodes demonstrate that we have very little control over others.
1: Today's episode is going to be extremely philosophical, extremely deep. I guarantee you, you're going to have to listen to it again and again because you will gain different perspectives every time you listen to this particular episode. I never prepare for spiritual conversations. I simply ask my own burning questions to my spiritual guests. Goranga Das is someone who's given me important answers at the right time in my life. It's the privilege of my life that I get to share these kind of conversations with you guys. So thank you for your support and get set for a very endearing, but also kind of heavy Spiritual Conversation with Karangadas Prabhu. That was the episode. Karangadas Prabhu, this is such an important conversation for me.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Thank you for coming home. Thank you for coming to the studio. I've visualized this conversation with you in this house, in this studio, since I moved into this house, which is more than a year and a half ago.
0: Oh, wow. I feel so honored, Ranveer. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: um. Yours is one of the few conversations that I've gone back to in terms of I don't listen to too many of our own episodes, but I keep going back to the ones I had with you. We produced two episodes. Yeah. Um. I've probably heard both those episodes at least four or five times because wow. there's new stuff I pick up from uh, each of them. So thank you for those.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's such an honor that uh, you're hearing it repeatedly and it's the message of the Gita and the Bhagavatam.
1: Yeah. Um I have so many questions today because uh I know every time I meet you, you know, it's not just every time I meet you. Every time I have a spiritual podcast like this, I feel like God or the universe or whatever higher power is out there controlling everything else sends me messages through these podcasts. Absolutely. And it's just an honor that I get to share it with the world. These are my own problems which I talk about to you and people like yourself. So I want to just begin by saying that um, uh, life has been so rewarding but so difficult lately, you know, for me, like we were just talking about how my team's working on releasing four podcasts every week. And we've been doing this now for like almost two years. Wow. So I finally, there's a part of me that started to crack on the inside, you know. Um, But something tells me to keep going and something tells me that it's not going to stop anytime soon. Right. I always thought that by age 30 life would be a little easier. You know, when I have to be in my hustling, struggling phase at 22, 23. But life gets more difficult, you just get older. (laughs) Is that the nature of life as you turn 40, 50, 60 as well? See,
0: when you do something which you really like, it's like drinking hot sugarcane juice. Sugarcane juice is sweet, so you love to drink it. But when it is hot, it also burns you. So it's a dilemma because you want to do it, And you want to do it more, but there is only as much time and energy which you can manage. So I think at this stage of your life, I think you're doing pretty well because this is your passion, this is what you like to do have conversations, bring knowledge to the world, and bring wisdom to this world. And interestingly, Arjuna, one of the names of Arjuna is Gudakesh. So Duryodhan, uh, sorry, Dronacharya had told all the disciples never feed Arjuna in the dark and so everybody would wonder why was dronacharya mentioning something like this so one day arjuna was just sitting and eating his dinner at night and there was a lamp just like this which was burning and uh, suddenly a gust of wind blew and the lamp blew out there was total darkness arjuna continued eating and arjuna started thinking hey it's totally dark there's no light still i'm able to eat if i can eat in the dark Why can't I practice archery in the dark? So looks like the only reason I'm not practicing archery is because I'm lazy. I'm not committed enough. I'm not disciplined. That moment, Arjuna took a decision that he will practice his archery in the day and in the night. And that's what happens when you are in total love with what you're doing. And Arjuna was so fortunate to be in that kind of a situation.
1: To have found a swadharma?
0: Exactly. So therefore, Arjuna's name is Guda Kesha, which means one who has conquered over sleep. But the, the point of the Bhagavad Gita is even if someone has found his Swadharma, you will find yourself in situations in life where even being in sync and in total joy with respect to your Swadharma, you cannot negotiate out of that situation when the circumstances change. And that's what happened that Arjuna was having the swadharma of a fighter because, you know, one who gets absorbed in acquiring knowledge is Brahmanical. One who gets absorbed in a conflict has the nature of a Kshatriya. One who absorbed in acquiring money, he has the actual nature of a Vaishya. So Arjuna was a Kshatriya. So he got absorbed in the conflict He could get absorbed in a conflict. But the problem was when Krishna brought his chariot in front of Bhishma and Drona. So suddenly Arjuna knew I had to fight against my grandfather whom I am supposed to love and my teacher whom I am supposed to respect. And therefore a conflict was created within Arjuna's mind not with respect to his Swadharma because his Swadharma was to fight but with respect to his identity. Or Swarupa. And therefore, Krishna speaks the Bhagavad Gita to help Arjuna rise above Swadharma, above his Swabhava, which is nature, and bring him to the original Swarupa that I have an identity deep within which can never change that is the soul, the spirit. <laughs>
1: The loaded uh, input uh, at the start of the episode I haven't asked you the simple question of what Swadharma means I know what it means but I'd love for you to explain it for the viewers because it's a very important word in every human's life
0: Absolutely, that's a beautiful question Ranbir Dharma comes from the Sanskrit word Dhri which means to hold and basically Dharma means That quality which cannot be separated from something. So the dharma of sugar is sweetness. The dharma of salt is its saltiness. The dharma of water is liquid to flow. So when we speak of swadharma, we speak in terms of our particular duty as per our nature as per our situation. So, depending on what is our relationship which we established, our swadharma will change. Like for example, your swadharma with respect to your family will be different. Your swadharma with respect to your occupation will be different. Your swadharma with respect to your nation will be different. Swadharma with respect to what Your group of friends expect from you on a weekend. That may be different. So, swadharma basically means my particular duty with respect to a particular contingency or a group of people, situation, personalities. Now, all of these are constantly changing. And therefore, whatever may be the swadharma of a son towards the parents before he gets married, starts changing the moment he gets married. Because he also has now a swadharma or a service or a duty towards his wife and the family of the wife. And it's a whole new dynamics. So therefore, as this situation changes, the duties also change. So one of the biggest causes Of fear or anxiety for people in this world Is only one word It's just one word That's called change Hmm. Change is the root cause of all fear and anxiety Why? Because as situations change Our identities change Just like Arjuna's identity changed Am I a warrior? Yes, I am ready to fight. Oh, am I a grandson? No, no, I want to love him. Oh, am I a student? I must respect. So, Arjuna experienced conflicting identities. So, change which we experience in life creates trauma because it changes our identities without our permission. It just happens in such an uncertain manner. And therefore, as the speed with which things are changing in this world have grown rapidly over the last 20 to 30 years, people are experiencing deeper mental health crisis. And the main reason is because they are not equipped to anchor themselves in the midst of this change. And therefore, when we understand that There is something within us which will never change and there is something above us who will also never change and there is a beautiful eternal relationship between me, the soul and the supreme soul of service and love which will never change. These three things is what is comprising a prayer in any tradition. Whether it's Islam or Christianity or Judaism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Jainism, all these traditions are focused only on these five aspects karma, which we are acting, kala, which is time, prakriti, which is nature. But that which is moving the nature is the soul within us, which makes us move nature under the influence of time, then we engage in activity and then we say, oh, this act was successful, this was meritorious, this requires some kind of reward, this, that and everything. But then when things do not happen as per our plan, then we realize that I am not able to change and manipulate everything the way I would like. Then the introspection begins that, is there a power deeper and greater than me? And then the jiva looks up and then he realizes there is something known as Ishwar. So, all traditions talk about these five principles. Ishwar, Jiv, Prakriti, Kala and Karma. The Supreme Controller, the individual soul, nature, time and action. So, when the soul tries to control and exploit Prakriti, under kala and engages in karma, that activity or effort is known as bhoga or the effort for enjoyment and then when that results in an experience which is known as chinta or Mm. anxiety then the soul looks up and then he is in exasperated state and then he comes across body of knowledge which tells him that, okay, there is a controller above us. So that Ishwar is described in Judaism in a certain way, in Christianity in a certain way, in Islam in a certain way, in Hinduism in a certain way, within Hinduism, in multiple traditions, within Hinduism in different, different ways. But the common feature amongst all of them is they do accept a supreme controller above us. And when the soul tries to establish a relationship with Ishwar, that is known as yoga. And therefore, when we are speaking about yoga, it is changing the focus. The soul, instead of looking down on Prakriti and trying to control and exploit the Prakriti or nature through the Kala time and karma action. The soul first reflects on, oh, looks like I am not the one controlling nature. I am not the one controlling time. I am not the one who is supposed to take credit for my karma and activity because whatever I am doing is with some borrowed energy. And then when all the scriptures, the books in all traditions point towards an Ishwar, And then the desire to establish relationship with the Ishwar manifests. Then the yoga begins. Then the types of yoga, nuances of yoga, names of the yoga are multifarious. But just like bhoga creates the experience of chinta, the yoga creates the experience of chintan or tranquility and peace. When the soul realizes that anything and everything in life will change because Prakriti has to change. Kala is constantly changing. Karma is constantly changing. When the soul realizes, I am the spirit soul, I never change. And the Ishwar never changes. And my relationship of service with Ishwar will not change. That creates such a deep anchoring experience that the soul realizes that prayer and worship is nothing but a fantastic anti-virus vaccine for me against the virus of change.
1: Every single day.
0: Every single day. That's why all traditions, parents and grandparents would always tell us, "Beta, subay, prayer karke jao. Begin the day with the prayer. But because they could not articulate the reason of why we should pray in a very, very deep, analytical, systematic, scientific manner, we just thought they are, they are pushing us into a ritual. But what our ancient seekers were always sharing with us was the most scientific, powerful, anti-virus vaccine, immunity builder, against the impact of the virus of change which all of us would experience. So therefore, that relationship of the soul with Ishwar, when the soul realizes that apart from all the other relationships which I have, this relationship is the primary one. This relationship is eternal. Eternal in Sanskrit is called Sanatana. So when the Jiva realizes that I also have, apart from my dharma to parents, dharma to family, dharma to occupation, dharma to business, dharma to customers, dharma to clients, dharma to society, I also have a dharma towards the Ishwar, my Supreme Father. Then he establishes relationship through prayer and service. That is known as Sanatan Dharma. Because he's reviving his Sanatan eternal relationship.
1: You've described the nature of reality here, sir. The reality that we live in, this world that our souls visit. Um, I think this is a question a lot of children have. Because I used to have this question when I was a child. Why am I sent here? And I've come to realize as I've turned 30 years old recently that... It's a crude way of saying this. And this is because it's the limitations of the English language. But some way you're sent here to clean up your past karmas. To clear out your karmas. Or you're sent here to suffer in some form. And there is a greater reality that awaits. If you acknowledge the greater reality and work towards it, your current reality eases out a bit. And there's this saying that no matter how difficult your present is, your future is easier through prayer and meditation. Fantastic. That's something I've come to realize so much. Like, at least in my own experience and so many psychologists actually going to get a little upset with this and I love psychology (laughs) conversations as well. Um, But again, very subjective, may not apply to everyone. It's applied to me. I might be going through my worst stages and if I'm able to meditate every single day for a week through that worst stage, I come out of that one week suddenly into a better stage of existence. Maybe I'm just calmer. Maybe I'm just less anxious, maybe I'm just more positivized, but it works. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm also trying to get to the depth of these things as I grow older. Uh, But in order to truly get to the depths, I have to learn from people like you. And the last time we spoke about the Garud Puran, we spoke about the (laughs) Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Gita. We didn't speak about you. (laughs) Um, I heard Jay's podcast with you. A while ago where you spoke about a very intense road accident you were in yeah. when you were younger uh, and that was the turning point for you for this one brief moment in the podcast I'm not going to talk to the monk in you okay. but I'm just going to talk to the boy Sure. Um, what happened before that accident and during that accident if you could explain it in detail of yeah. course I want to know what happened after Sure. but I felt like This is something that should be on the Indian internet even more.
0: Thank you so much, Ranbir, for asking that question. And uh, it's true that it was a very, very important moment because what happened before was, as I said before, I've always been searching for answer to death in my life when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, as I see three types of people. There is a life coaches, there is a business coaches and there is a monk. And I would always wonder what's the difference between these three. Then I figured out that business coach help you make money, become more efficient. Life coach helps you balance whatever problems you may be going through after you make that money. But then both of them help you and guide you only till
1: death.
0: (laughs) So... You have financial planning, family planning, property planning, investment planning, relationship planning, this planning, that planning. But all of these plannings are only till death. So I always was intrigued by the fact that can we also plan a journey beyond death? And that was something at the back of my mind in my subconscious. And I would ask a few people and Many people would tell me, hey, come on, let's talk something practical here and now. So, I just got connected to the Bhagavad Gita and uh, the devotees. And then what really attracted me and fascinated me to the Gita was that for the first time, I could see that the Gita is explaining that death is not a problem in itself, but death is The opening of a doorway to the next destination which you can plan. I was in a tourism conference and then representing the Govardhan Eco Village and someone came up to me and said, Hey, you are a monk. What are you doing in a tourism conference? I said, Hey, you don't know? Tourism and spirituality is the same? Spirituality is a kind of tourism. He said, What? I never thought about it. I said, Yes. Tourism means planning where you will take your body and your family during the vacation from point A to point B. And spirituality is to plan how and where to take the soul after death to a different destination. So the Gita reveals that the soul is going through a journey in millions of lifetimes. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, kaumaram In this body itself, the child body is dying, the youth body is being born, the youth body is dying, the old body is being born. So the birth and death is continuously happening in this, but still I am identifying as, I am not changing. You say, I am the same Ranbir, but body has changed. So therefore, the Gita identifies the soul as eternal and death as the crossroads. And depending on certain kind of psychophysical condition at the moment of death, your next destination is decided. So this really opened my eyes and I started practicing the process, started chanting and all that stuff. And then, you know, it was after a program, uh, You know, we did with a group of people and we were driving. And the person who was driving me was a pretty competent driver. And he was going a little fast, you know. He loved fast driving. And I was sitting right next to him. And this was on the Eastern Express Highway in Mumbai. When was this? This was in November 14th, 1993. So, as we were driving... We were in the lane which is right next to the divider and we were going at high speed. Then there was a truck which was moving on the left side slowly ahead of us. But typically in India, when drivers sometimes see a gap between dividers, they suddenly feel, oh, this is the place to take a U turn. So, you know, this driver was going and suddenly he saw a gap in the divider. And without giving a warning, he just turned. And we were going at high speed. So that moment when the truck turned to the right and I was sitting in the Maruti van, (laughs) which does not even have a bonnet. So I say it's designed to take you to the spiritual world, you know. So I was sitting right in front And then it was like in next 5 to 7 seconds we were going to hit because there was no way you could put the brakes. It would not have worked. Anyway, the person was driving me did his best, slammed on the brakes but in spite of the best efforts as we were moving towards that truck I could see myself inching towards death. It was like direct vision but interestingly although i was chanting for last maybe an year before that for last one year and i knew that at the last moment i must think of krishna and chant his names but i was externally chanting hare krishna hare krishna but within my mind i was very traumatized and. I could see that anytime death is coming. So I could realize at that moment that it's not so easy to actually internalize whatever practices we do unless we go through an extensive period of practice, meditation, support, community and it's not like an overnight thing. So then boom, the vehicle hit against the truck. I My face went straight ahead. The roof caved down. All the glass, the, the glass pane in front smashed and my whole body was filled with the glass. And then some other vehicle stopped by nearby. Somehow I survived. I saw that the driver was trapped between the steering wheel and the seat. But because he was so thin, others could pull him out. And he survived. And I came out. And the car which was standing right next door, I just looked into the rear view mirror of that car. And then I saw my whole face was filled with blood. It was like a horror movie. And so the first thing I, you know, thought was... Okay, I'm alive, but let me now check whether I can speak. And then I said, Hare Krishna, so I could speak. But then the whole body was filled with the blood and the glass pieces and everything. And the people were kind enough to put us in a vehicle and take us to the nearest hospital. And then they took me inside an operation theater and for over three hours, bringing out all the glass pieces and everything. And then after they put the whole bandage around my face and all my body and everything. When next day I went to the police station because they wanted us to go and identify the vehicle. Uh, The policeman said, okay, uh, looks like whoever was in the vehicle must be dead. I said, no, I was the one in. Oh my God, it's unbelievable because the way the vehicle is smashed, it's a miracle someone survived. So it was at that moment, it struck to me That my life has a certain purpose because for all technical reasons, I was 22 years old and at the age of 22, my life was practically finished on the road in an accident. But I have been saved. So that was like a Eureka moment.
1: How do you remember the accident in so much detail? You were conscious through it?
0: Well, you know, everything happened so quick. Yeah, I didn't lose consciousness.
1: But you remember exactly what the impact felt like?
0: Well, you said explain in detail. So, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm remember. I'm sorry I'm taking you back, there, <laughs> sir
1: There is no presence of God in that moment?
0: There is. Because at that moment... You know, I'm chanting, but within my mind, I'm not able to really capture the presence of Krishna. Because my mind is still completely overwhelmed with fear. So therefore, one is hearing, one is speaking, but the other is fully realizing. So that was the moment After that, I thought that, you know, as far as my life is concerned, it's already over on the roads here. I should be dead. But I've been given another chance. So, Krishna has protected me, given me another chance. So, let me devote my life for the one who has saved me on the highway let me use this opportunity to show millions of people in this world the highway to the spiritual world. So that was the transformative movement for me.
1: Um, while I do wish to chronologically ask you if your monkhood began right after this, what I actually wish to ask you, and it might be an inappropriate question, but I really have to know I really wish to know if accidents on roads, accidents in wartime, things like that big bomb blast we saw in Lebanon, where so many children also get hurt, their lives get affected. Does God cause these things if it is truly in charge of our entire reality? and something tells me you've also played table tennis with this thought <laughs> when you're when you were younger so i i want to know god's role yeah in mishaps absolutely
0: so krishna gives a disclaimer in bhagavad gita and what's that disclaimer he says karmano hyapi bodhavyam bodhavyam cha vikarmana cha bodhavyam gahana karmanogati. So, Krishna says, Arjuna, the intricacies of karma, vikarma and akarma are extremely difficult to figure out. So, he describes these three varieties of karma, not just one. Vikarma, he says, is one who breaks the law. You know the law, you break the law. In technical terms, you call it criminal. So, a lawbreaker is vikarma. And here he is referring to the universal laws. The second is karma. A law abiding citizen. Then you may wonder, what is this akarma? So, Krishna says, Hey, I also need help to run this universe, to run this world. Those who are assisting me in helping reach out this knowledge to others and reconnect people with me. It's like the bureaucrats or those who are part of the government, supporting and helping the government run its machinery. So they are part of the government itself. So Krishna says, they are engaged in what I call as a karma. So therefore, whether someone is engaged in karma Vikarma or Akarma, Krishna says. I have created this world as a place where people must experience pain. To know that when I put my finger in fire and it hurts, there is a purpose behind that pain. If the pain feeling was not there, If the feeling of pain was not there, when I put my hand in the fire or finger in the fire, there are high chances that my finger would be burned. So the purpose behind the feeling of pain is so that I know that at this moment I need to exit. So the pain which is embedded within each and every atom of this creation is not by chance it is by design to make each and every person introspect what does this pain indicate does this pain have a purpose so therefore all traditions whether it is Christianity Hinduism, Judaism, Islam Sikhism, Jainism, Zoroastrianism whatever Buddhism all traditions exist and believe me with 31% Christians and 23% Muslims and 15% Hindus and 8.5% Buddhists the people across the world are following traditions just so that they can understand the purpose behind the pain is to help us realize that maybe there is another home To where we belong for eternity. And we have stubbornly left our father's home. To come to try to enjoy separate. As a rebel.
1: I think since our childhoods. We get so used to this world. And the way it works. And the way we look. And our preferences and culture. And fashion and food and business. And all these normalized things. We don't understand how much suffering is actually tied into all these things. Uh, Even wealth in huge amount actually enters your life along with pain. Mm -hmm. Either to earn it or after you receive the wealth, you will receive some pain to just balance out that experience. And this is something I've asked a lot of my friends who've made a lot of money in life, who've become famous in life. Mm. Pain comes along with it. Correct. When you're younger, you want the fame and money thinking that that's the answer. Then you grow a little older and sometimes you think love is the answer. And then you grow a little older, and you realize, oh, the answer is not in this realm. <laughs> the answer is the exit door which is in this realm but I have to earn it. Am I right in saying that?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Because Bhagavatam says various ill effects of wealth are connected at all stages of wealth. Arthasya, sadhane, siddhe, utkarshe. Rakshane, Vyaye. Nasho chinta Wealth at all stages. Sadhane, when you are trying to earn, will give you pain. Sidhe, once you have earned. utkarshe while trying to grow the wealth. Rakshane, while trying to protect the wealth. Vyaye, while trying to spend the wealth because even after spending, you're not sure whether I made the right choice. (laughs) So he says, "Trasa, Chinta, Matir. It always is a source of anxiety. So you are absolutely right. Pain is embedded, but there is a purpose behind the pain. And that's where we come in. Help people understand that, okay, business coach will help you in life. Life coach will help you in life. And believe me, There are millions of brilliant people who can help you in your journey to become successful, famous, wealthy. We are not in that business. Our business begins when someone starts contemplating that I need to plan my journey beyond death. That's where the original and actual and the real business of all spiritual traditions, begin if you understand it in their authentic interpretation.
1: Are you a part of a karma? Of course, you are.
0: <laughs> trying to be. Trying to be. Trying to be signed up for. Sign-
1: yeah, I hear you. Um, would charity be a karma?
0: In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna speaks of charity in three modes. Charity in mode of goodness passion and ignorance so when you give charity in mode of ignorance then the person it's like say giving liquor to somebody so the person receiving it is going to get wrongly affected and the person giving also so it's harmful Rajogun means you are giving something which is as per the desire of the person but it may not always be good.
1: Like giving a drug addict his drugs.
0: Like that. Or a, a patient, diabetic patient is asking for sweet and you know, it's his desire, it's his craving. But the charity in the mode of goodness is described by Krishna in the following manner. iti itiyaddanam. We give because this is my duty to give. It must be done. Diyate anupakarine, without expecting anything in return. Deshe kalecha patrecha, as per time, place, and circumstance. danam satvikam smrtam, This is satvik dan. So, therefore, everything has its place and everything has its interpretation as per the modes.
1: You get nirvana, liberation, moksha based on your spiritual progress which is based on your karma, if over many lifetimes, you just constantly give away everything you own, you're engaged in that level of charity, will that earn you enough karma to earn you your liberation?
0: So, in this kind of charity, there are three different types. One is known as Karmanu sukrti. Karmanu Sukrati means you are engaged in you know giving charity, you're engaged in planting trees, giving people water, wells, and all these things. So this gives you some kind of piety which will take you to a higher destination within the material world. And then there is Bhaktyanu Sukriti. And Bhaktyanu Sukriti basically means you engage in activities which will take you beyond this world. Which is you are doing activities in relationship to the ultimate spiritual personality. So therefore, Punya Shravana Kirtana means engaging in activities like Direct meditation, chanting of the names, worshipping in holy places. So this gives you spiritual piety. So therefore, there is a difference between material piety and spiritual piety. Both are credits. But you can say that traveling within India, but then traveling abroad needs a different type of visa.
1: Mm. Traveling within travel. India in a seven-star hotel through charity. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but if you want to go abroad, you actually get into the spiritual practices. Absolutely,
0: and the nature of the spiritual practices may be different in different traditions. Why, again and again, I am bringing all the traditions, is today we are torn by such conflict amongst religions, amongst traditions, and social media seems to be hyping up the differences so much. But Vedic tradition, Sanatan Dharma, always talked about bheda. And Abheda, distinguishing factors, but Abheda is common factors. So if you look at the common factors in all traditions, all the traditions have these five aspects of the journey. What is my starting point? What is my destination? What is my experience at the destination? What will be my path to reach the destination? And what will be the obstacles in the journey? that's it. So, nothing but planning for taking the soul to an aspired destination after death. It can be planned, it can be properly curated, and you can actually make it happen with the right kind of practice.
1: We're constantly shepherding the conversation towards this point of death, sir. <laughs> like, that's why I'm both you and me are taking it constantly through all the answers which is why i'm not going to stop that flow <laughs> sure the last time we spoke about the garud puran yes it was probably 2 years ago that we spoke last um i don't think too many of the new viewers have even seen that episode right now which is why i would begin this question with a tiny recap on the garud puran sure but let's also talk about the journey of the soul at the point of death and after death sure up till the point of rebirth, right? Um, I will let you take it. Let forward. me
0: let me hear what you remember
1: of the Garud Puran. <laughs> Since you spoke to me about it, I got very interested. So I did my own research as well. Sure. So some of it is based on what I have researched. Some of it is based on our last conversation. Please correct me where I am wrong. Sure, sure. Um, the Garud Puran is basically a set of rules and descriptions about what happens at the point of death and after death. At the point of death, it's supposed to be so physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually painful in all the possible formats of pain that you can think of. The top of which is detachment and attachment because you're still attached to your human life. I am Ranveer. I'm leaving Ranveer's body. The soul gets extracted from that body and that's why it's painful. Correct. That's the worst pain a human spirit can ever endure. Which is why naturally all biological... Creatures are afraid of death naturally because we remember it from our past life. Absolutely. That at that moment, it hurts so much. I don't want to go through it again. That's why that natural fear of death is inbuilt. But the Garud Puran also describes what happens to your soul after you pass away. I don't know now whether this is a part of the Puran or not, but they say that you're usually visited by a form of God that you understand the best. Whatever your vision of God is. Um, which for many people would be their own gurus. Guru takes you to the next point. And the next point can be positive or negative depending on your karmas. And if you've done a lot of negative things in this realm, you are made to pay for it in that journey. And that's where my morbid side actually got very interested. Because souls that have not done good deeds in our realm on earth are supposedly made to suffer extremely badly. There, where You're supposed to uh, flow in a river that's... Full of boiling oil. There are predators that eat away pieces of your soul's flesh. You're made to go through the same kind of suffering that you inflicted on this planet so that you learn your lesson, so that you get punished. And then you're presented with your whole life's report card. That's where my understanding stops. (laughs) And maybe this is a morbid explanation, so I'll allow you to correct me, sir.
0: (laughs) Fascinating. I'm sure the youth who's watching this will think, "Hey, Rambir to sadhu ban Well, was, the energy rubs off. <laughs> it was a beautiful explanation. So, to summarize, I'll, uh, you know, give an example of when a criminal is caught by the police, and usually criminals are in disguise, and the police are kind of chasing, and they recognize and catch him. And when they take him for interrogation and they inflict whatever they usually do, and then only after a certain degree of pain which is given, then the criminal says, Okay, I am so and so. Otherwise, he'll begin by saying, I am not this, I am not this, I am not this, I am not this. The criminal denies his identity. And then finally, when he accepts, Yes, this is my identity. Then the process of reformation begins and then he is sent to the you know prison house and then transformation begins. So it's exactly the same. All the punishments which you describe have been given and uh, in this planetary system, 14 planetary system below are the various uh, below the Pataloka are the various Narakas. Or the hellish planets. And You'll that's have to described.
1: Give tiny context on this 14-planetary system thing. I remembered from our episode, but just yeah, for the yeah. viewers.
0: So basically, the Srimad Bhagavatam or the Bhagavat Puran gives a complete different context of what's the geography of the space we are living in. So it describes the particular universe we are living in as having. 14 planetary systems divided in terms of the consciousness. And there are the upper 7 planetary systems and the lower. And we are in the middle at the Bhuloka. And depending on the kind of piety you earn, you go up. And depending on the kind of sins you perform, you go down. And that's what is the whole idea of the karma factor. Heaven and hell. Heaven and... So, heaven is upper and lower planetary systems and the last lower planetary system is called Patal Loka. Below Patal Loka are a group of hellish planets which is known as Naraka and each of those planets has a specific kind of punishment and the person on behalf of Krishna who is managing that in the Bhagavad Puran is described as Yamaraja. And his name comes in various other texts also. And in India anyone who is practicing Hindu or born Hindu has always heard of Yamaraja.
1: You, you can feel free to describe each of the punishments. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, okay. So, leaving like, that to you.
0: You know, the, the idea is that uh, the nature of the punishments is so that a person has Memory of that trauma when he again comes back to a better destination after going through that.
1: You mean whatever trauma he created in Bhoolok, which is our world, he remembers what he did by.
0: He's made to remember by those, uh, you know, Yamadutas, and then punished, and then he is given a particular new opportunity. After that, depending on his karmic balance.
1: You know, when we're talking about these punishments, they're based on, I don't want to say negative karma, but whatever, negative karma. They are based on things you've done wrong. Exactly. How wrong is wrong enough to go to those planets? In terms of all of us have lied at some point in our life. All of us have hurt someone knowingly or unknowingly. All of us have been late. That's also a way of hurting someone, disrespect. Will these things send you there? Or it's a certain crime like murder or robbery? Like.
0: It's a very uh, beautiful question. That if you go into the technical details, you will be in trauma all day. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, Krishna says, the way to live life, just like as a citizen, when you walk out of the ho- house, you don't think of all the sections in the Indian Penal Code which is going to land you in jail. When you start a business or a startup, you don't think all the different possible types of crimes which will put you behind bars under corporate laws. You are thinking positive. And all those are there as deterrents to prevent a person from doing those things. So therefore, there is a concept in Vedic literature known as Panchayagya which basically says that we commit various kinds of crime as soon as we are living in a space. Because you are burning your fire, you are pouring water, storing water, you are cleaning the house, you are breathing. So all these things are creating by default Millions and millions of deaths of bacteria and this and that, and any plant is getting killed when we are eating, you know, when we are plucking and then finally eating. So, therefore, Ahastani Sahastanam Apadani Chatushpudam Phalguni tatra Jivo Jivasya Jivanam. So, Bhagavad Puran is very clear that Jivo Jivasya Jivanam, one Jiva will become the cause for destruction of another Jiva. But let us follow the protocols of freedom within boundaries. So the important principle or the underlining statement is freedom within boundaries. Understand what is my quota and live within that. So the whole concept of Vedic literatures and Vedic living as they say is to help people understand that I can fulfill my needs while respecting others' requirements and needs and living within those boundaries of restraint. So therefore people say restraint or restraint is not good. But say if someone is flying a kite, the rope of the kite, is it good or bad? Someone may say, oh it's bad, it is holding the kite back. But no, it is helping the kite move farther up. But you say, oh, if you cut the rope, it can go much further. If you cut, after some time, the kite will come down. Just like runway is good or bad. Someone may say, oh, runway is restricting the movement of an aircraft. The Boeing can, an Airbus can fly much, you know, can go anywhere in the grass around. No, but the restriction of the runway helps the airplane gather speed. When the airplane gathers speed, it can fly to an altitude and take you to a destination, you could never have usually done with a simple bicycle. Therefore, the restrictions described in all traditions are meant to help us focus and remain on the runway of Dharma so that ultimately we are able to elevate our consciousness to such an extent that at the moment of death, we actually go to a higher destination. And that's how all traditions have been working upon. So the main factor is, yes, anything you do in life, there will be something you'll be doing wrong. But the idea is not that. The idea is we become a law-abiding citizen of the universe and follow the universal father.
1: Okay. Um, What's in those seven heavenly planets? Yeah. Like and do you gradually progress up the ladder? Or if you've done enough good work in this realm, do you directly go to the top?
0: Yeah. So all those details are described in various Vedic literatures. And what kind of piety will lead you to what destination that is also described. So for example, there is Indra Loka where Indra is ruling. And in Indra Loka, which is known as Swargaloka, the people have bodies which are subtle. And practically, there is long, long life. Millions of years of lifespan. And no distress. Only bhoga. Every moment is a festival for the senses. So, Bhagavatam describes these heavenly denizens are praying, Atishaya Indriya Utsavat. We are tormented by excessive pleasure of our senses. Therefore, because we have a body which is fragrant the body is fragrant to such an extent when they would take bath in any kind of a river, that river would become fragrant. And there is nothing known as death till they leave that place. So they are praying in the fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam that Kalpaya Thana Jayat Punar Bhavat Kshanayushat Bharata Bhujayovaram that rather than millions of lifetime millions of lives millions of years of a lifespan in heavenly planet in swarga we prefer a few 80 to 100 years lifespan on bharat bhumi why because the kind of spiritual knowledge and awakening which is possible in bharat is unbelievable
1: in India? Like the Indian subcontinent? So, So, every soul that's born here is born for a reason?
0: There is an extra privilege in terms of access to spirituality because that's very much within the core DNA of our land. So, you see that culture, what does it mean? Culture basically means that first there is A destination you plan. For that destination, there is a process. And for that process, you need a supporting ambience or environment. Suppose my destination is to be a champion boxer. To be a champion boxer, I need a process, which is training to be a boxer. Then there is the attendant supporting environment, which helps me in boxing, which is what wearing the right kind of dress Wearing the right kind of gloves, eating the right kind of food, diet, exercise, being with the right community of boxers, having a coach. All this is part of the supporting ambience. That supporting ambience is what is known as culture. So therefore, we see that people who are born in certain sports families or business families or bureaucrat families or judiciary families, or Bollywood or Hollywood families, they have a specific advantage of having a certain ambience and environment for a certain process. So they land up reaching the destination apparently easier than many others. Similarly, in India, within two hours, anywhere you are in India, within two hours of wherever you are, you will reach a spiritual destination, a place where some spiritual significance, some pastime of the Lord or His devotees or some such place is there. And therefore, in India, across, there is such a culture or an ambience to support the process of spiritual practice so that you can attain the destination that's how india is built in its original dna the number of temples the number of even all the the jews will accept the fact and they do accept the fact that india is one of the countries where they have been treated with so much of respect and so much of you know sensitivity and therefore the. Spirituality is in the very DNA of India. And that's a major advantage as against so many other countries. And if India has to really become a Vishwa Guru, one of the most important requirements for India is to realize that the whole world is looking towards India for its amazing, timeless, ancient wisdom. And, you know, we must applaud the efforts of Prime Minister Modi for bringing this G20 presidency under such a highlight of Vasudhaiva Kutumbakam, which is nothing but, as I see, that Vasudha is sustainability, which is sensitivity or respect for nature. And one earth, one family, which is only possible when we recognize each other as souls. So India is that country, because of its deep spiritual tradition, has always focused on our identity as souls, more than any other tradition, any other country, which is the spiritual tradition. So spirituality. And then one future. Then when we see everybody as part of receiving our service so that their life can transform, which is community. So, social impact. So, spirituality, sustainability and social impact. S3 impact. That's what is the idea of Vasudeva Kutumbakam. And India really has that opportunity to be the place to invite and welcome everyone to understand this, know their own traditions and reconnect. And we have the opportunity to share this with the rest of the world.
1: Are you hopeful about where the world is going?
0: With all the technology we have at our disposal and I must congratulate you for the beautiful app which I have created. thank you. And what's the name?
1: Level Supermind level
0: because I think that is something which the world needs so the world is moving in the direction of enhanced connectivity through technology and just imagine if the souls across the world become purified elevated transformed a group of transformed human beings when they connect they are going to transform the world So I don't see any problem in connectivity, but I see problem in the consciousness.
1: Yeah, it's been a difficult decade. It's 2023 now. Yeah. And every year of this decade has been much more challenging than what 2010 to 2019 was. It was such a simple decade that I would even go as far as saying 2000 to 2009 was also simple-ish at least with a few big blips. But this decade, every year there's been something. Mm-hmm. What are the saints and angels thinking? <laughs> Why is this happening? Is this also part of the plan? Is there a cleanup happening? I think we touched upon this the last time. Yeah. It was two years ago and so much has happened since then. War yeah. has happened since then. Correct. There are rumors of an even bigger war taking place next year. Um, Harshil, my co-founder on Level, our common friend, He's like an elder brother figure to me in life. And one of the most important things I learned from him is that behind every action that you do in the material world, it's all about what the intention was. Mm. Is your intention to give? Is your intention to help? Is your intention to heal? And the moment your intention are truly, and the moment your intention is one of those three things, that's where you'll notice that the work happens by itself much better than you imagined. But your intention truly needs to be clean. My intention has been to motivate for a very long time in my career. There was selfish intention as well to protect myself, to earn my money. But I've reached a point where now the intention is all about healing. Mm. And the more healing I'm trying to put out in the world,
0: Mm.
1: the more damage I'm absorbing as well. (laughs) Honestly, to a certain degree. I don't know why, I think. I don't get it. How's that? I think I'm putting out more healing. Because Mm. my intention is really, really to do that. And on a very metaphysical level, am I truly helping other people or am I helping a younger version of myself who didn't get help? Hmm. Whatever it is, the intention is to put out healing in the world. Fame, power, all these things are increasing so much, but along with that, there is pain that comes back. It's not pain I'm trying to put out there. And I'm just having to be like very brave about going on, Hmm. facing the world. Hmm. Um... I feel so broken on the inside at so many points and at the same time I feel more powerful and I've come to realize that maybe the nature of life is to be a little harsh on yourself. I'm reminded of the time I was a martial artist when I was a kid and I'd get injured, I'd hurt myself, get bruised (laughs) but take it as a badge of honor and go back into my martial arts class Mm. the next day. Mm. I didn't imagine that life would be like this and I'm glad Mm. that I did martial arts but it makes me think about this very (sighs) Nuclear power decade that we're in. I don't think we live in easy times. And I'm a little afraid of where we're going. But I'd love for you to correct yeah. me wherever I'm thinking wrong here.
0: No, I think uh, you know you look at it from the historical point of view, and then you look at it from Shastric point of view, from what the scriptures say. So the Bhagavatam describes this age as age of Kali. Age of Kali means Satyuga. Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga and Kali Yuga. So, characteristic of Kali Yuga is quarrel, conflict and hypocrisy. And the fundamental foundation of Kali Yuga is intensely rising egos. So, the characteristic of Kali Yuga is if you plot an ego and time axis it will go like this. So therefore, from we the narrative will go more towards me, I. And because of that, conflicts are bound to increase. So therefore, the Bhagavatam says, Alpayusha Sabhya. The age will go on coming down. Kalau asmin yuge jana People's intelligence, memory, capacity their ability to remain healthy, all this will start coming down and which we are seeing. So therefore, I would say that in the midst of negativity, the way to remain like a lotus is to know that you can divide your 24 hours into two segments of 12 hours each. Your 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. is what you give to the world. You are giving, giving, giving. Everybody, whether it's a businessman or a housewife or working, this, that. But there is a 8 or 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. which we have for ourselves. So the problem is not in giving. But the problem is, although we are giving, when we are in our own space, We are not doing anything to build our immunity. And that's what all the traditions are speaking about as healing, prayer, introspection, intentional contemplation, making an audit on what did I do, what is my intention, which way I am going. And therefore, the scripture, study of the scripture on a regular basis, acts as a mirror or darpan for your consciousness. Why, in spite of technology having so advanced in terms of filmmaking and serial making, when the COVID happened, the most popular serials were still Ramayana and Mahabharata, which was from that generation. Because it captures the essence of what each one of us go through. That we will be subject to all kinds of trauma. And we will have no control. Even the supreme controller, Rama, has no control when he will go to the forest. Krishna will have no control how his own family members, the Yadavas, destroy each other in a fratricidal war. Krishna has no control even over Duryodhana he is trying to control him but he can't be so all of these episodes demonstrate that we have very little control over others we have very little control over people we have very little control over places we have very little control over the planet but we only have total control with what I decide to do now at this moment. So therefore the whole idea is if we can spare some quality time every day trying to capture a few moments where we are engaged in prayer and go through past lives stories of people who have gone through that trauma. So what reading and studying Rama and Mahabharata, Bhagavatam and all these does is you realize that the problem I am going through is not unique. What enhances or accelerates or intensifies distress is when you think that I am the only one going through this. So, you know, students have experienced in exams when you are the only one who has failed Then the trauma is more. But when only one guy has passed and 30 have failed, you feel, oh, it's okay. (laughs) So spending quality time with scripture, whether it's Bible or, you know, Granth Sahib or Gita or all of these have a common agenda to help you realize that the problem you are going through today is not unique or special. So that introspection which we do on a daily basis is so important because we realize that oh if all of these characters have gone through so much trauma what is important is not the trauma they went through but what was their response to that trauma did they respond to it politically did they respond to it emotionally politically means you just try to You know, eat kajava pathar se. Try to get the better out of the other. Compete. But sometimes you may find the other person is stronger or the situation is beyond my capacity. So you break down emotionally. So the scriptures are neither recommending a political reaction nor an emotional reaction, but a devotional reaction, which is you realize. That in this situation, in this circumstance, all I have is my ability to respond to this situation by controlling my own consciousness and tolerating and being humble, being forgiving, realizing that I have to be grateful for what I have received. And therefore, the values being taught across all of these sacred literatures is kind of common And then when you see the reflection of these personalities, you may have gone through something yesterday and you may see that reflected in the personality and then you learn how they have dealt with it. So, you know, Howard is very famous for their case study method in Harvard Business School. But the case study method has always been a part of the Puranic literatures where whether you are the Srimad Bhagavatam or the Padma Purana or whichever Puranas, they take you through stories or itihasas like the Ramayana and Mahabharata, which is what? It's a case study method to help you understand that in this situation, there are multiple choices which Bhishma can make when Draupadi is being insulted. But, okay, at this situation, what choice does he make and why? So, therefore, we are able to see the reflection of our trauma and our fears and our insecurities through them. Therefore, two things I feel is very important for families. Come together and pray and express gratitude and then come and study and read aloud together the various traditional scriptures and ancient wisdom. And so that we are able to then reflect as a family and learn from them, cope with the current reality of trauma or difficulty or challenge, but with optimism, move forward.
1: Effectively, I mean, while I've gained a lot of things from that answer, it's about what you choose to do in your me time and your family time. Absolutely. That's your only controllable Because after a point in life, what you do for the world is also pre-decided by what you have done in your past, in your dharma, in your karma. (laughs) That decides your present. But today you only get to decide, hey, what do I do in my free time?
0: Absolutely.
1: And if I can turn my pack, my family towards that free time, nothing like it. Absolutely. Because especially after moving to this part of town, which is very media Bombay. I remember the last time you had come to my original office, which is in a very residential part of Mumbai. Uh, I miss my Sangat or Sangati as it's called. Yeah. Which is community. Community. I used to go to my own uh, spiritual school there. And here I go to the local coffee shop and meet other (laughs) media professionals. Um, And conversations are great and your career has surged forward, but... I've realized the role of like spiritual friends at this phase of my life. And it's great because when I was leaving my house, I told my mother that give me two and a half to three years time. I'm going to go. It's like military camp. I'm going to take my career to another level and then I'll come back. Right. And broke her heart to see me leave. And it breaks my heart every day that she's away from me and I'm here. But you got to be like a bit of a warrior at this stage. Yeah. Um. I miss, I miss my family. I miss my spiritual life like so much. But you got to do what you got to do. So I hope I'm doing the right thing. I think I am. Uh,
0: But you know, you don't have to miss your spiritual life because you can ignite your spiritual life even within the context because it's not dependent on the location.
1: The only Zen you carry to the top (laughs) of mountains is the Zen you take there.
0: (laughs) So in your free time, all you need to do is connect. Because no matter wherever you travel in the world, you are able to connect with your friends through your cell phone. So therefore, all traditions have some kind of a rosary, beads, by which wherever they are, irrespective of location, they connect. So I mean, I must, you know, really appreciate the work which you're doing, trying to bring positivity um, in this world and especially trying to create hope in the hearts of youth because I would say that the most important currency which is required to distribute today is that hope and you're giving that oh,
1: I hope so sir I think the world needs healing especially people my age so much damage some like people younger <laughs> maybe even more damage and not because of their own uh, choices because of the world that they were born into you mm-hmm. know with technology and social media um, you call it hope maybe for me the word that's in my head is healing a little bit That's what the world needs. Um, There is this question that I've been wanting to ask you in this podcast for a while. So I'm just going to shamelessly ask you now. (laughs) Do you think your soul chose that moment of the accident and your monkhood before coming down? Are you given a bit of a trailer of your life before you come back down?
0: I think the super soul chose that. Because Krishna says that. Prakriti gune karmani sarvasha ahankar kartahamitimanyate. That everything which is orchestrated in nature, there are three parts. One is the soul who chooses, then there is a super soul who sees the entire gamut of karma which a person has done. And then the super soul sanctions to nature and allows.
1: Is the super soul God?
0: Super soul is Paramatma within the heart. Is there all through? So God has various manifestations. Supermatma so is the super soul manifestation, as per the Bhagavatam and the Gita tradition. Krishna says Upadrishta Anumanta Bharta Bhokta Maheshwara, as one who is constantly witnessing, waiting for the prodigal son to return, but facilitating in whatever way it is required. So, I think just like I give an example of a computer if you are sitting and there is a computer screen and there is a printer. I can't scream at the screen and say, print me four copies. No, you have to type in the command. So, the printer gets communication from me via the CPU of the computer. Similarly, nature is there and I am thinking, Okay, at this moment, let me lift my hand. Let me lift my hand. So the soul, the Jiva is a doer. I am the doer in desiring. The doer number two is the Paramatma that he receives that input. Oh, Gauranga Das at this particular time in 2023, June, wants to lift his hand. Does he have the karma? And the balance to be able to do that activity in a fraction for millionth second, the super soul goes through all the record and sees, okay, yes. And then the doer number two, Paramatma, gives sanction to the doer three, which is the prakriti, which is the nature. So the command is given to the body cells and everything and then I am able to lift. So that's the metaphysical understanding of why at certain point, certain people, they may desire to lift their hand. Desire is still as strong as it was in the youth. But you are not able to lift the hand. If I am the only doer, then why I am not able to do that? So therefore, the metaphysics of Gita brings into picture three doers. The soul as the desiring doer. The Ishwara as the facilitating or the permitting doer. Sanctioning doer. And the Prakriti or nature as the one who executes what has been sanctioned. So these are the three
1: once had a conversation with someone who follows shamanism, which is a spiritual school of thought from South America. And they believe that you're given options when you come back down that, hey, this is how much karma you've accumulated in your last birth. So either you'll get to be a billionaire, a top athlete, or a monk. Which one do you choose? (laughs) And then it's up to you in terms of which one you get to choose. Do you think there's any parallel in Sanadhan Dharma? Do you think that's true? For me, I would like to believe that's true because my human mind understands free will and options. Correct. You have cho- a choice at all points. So why shouldn't you have some sort of a say or choice at that stage? Especially if you've been a good person and you've been spiritualized in your life. Maybe you do have an option when you're up there in the heavens.
0: Yes, Krishna explains in the Gita, Urdhvam gacchanti Sattvastha Madhya Rajasa Adogachanti uh, ado tamasa. That Urdhvam gachanti. Those who are sattva, they go top. They are elevated. Their consciousness rises. Madhye tishtanti rajasa. That those who are in uh, rajogun, they stay in the middle. Jaganyagunaprattasta. One who performs sinful and abominable activities. They go down. So therefore, depending on the kind of choices we make, our destinations manifest. So people think Gita is a book of commandments. Gita is a book of choices. And we only have the choice over this moment. And therefore... Krishna is telling Arjuna, choose your contemplation. And what is contemplation? Contemplation is conquest over internal conflict. When one is internally conflicted between multiple identities and ideas and thoughts and this and that, there is a process by which you can conquer over it. That conquest over internal conflict is what is known as contemplation. And therefore, in Sanatana Dharma tradition, it is called the yoga. And that's what, at the dramatic space of a battlefield, where 640 million soldiers arrayed between both the sides are standing with all their weapons. And these are like you know, fully trained, experienced fighters. They are professional fighters and they have come with the intention to fight. Krishna suddenly orchestrates a pause for one hour and in that one hour, the warriors are there, the war field is there, the war weapons are there, but the warrior seems to have lost his will for the war. And so Krishna brings the Bhagavad Gita as the literature which helps you first win your internal conflict before you can actually be victorious in the external conflict. And today's society is so obsessed with winning the external conflict that society is experiencing 300 million people experiencing depression and anxiety syndrome. So I think the young generation must be inspired by someone like you who could be bringing any topic on this conversation, on this podcast. But the very fact that you are going so deep into trying to understand from different angles what's our spiritual tradition, what's the comparison of our Sanatan Dharma tradition with other traditions, you are really getting deep into dissecting the entire religious studies ecosystem in spite of having so much of fame and success and this and that I think it's a a brilliant example for the young generation to know that beyond all that they may obtain in life they should never give up their quest for searching for the real deep purpose and meaning in life. I think that's a great example. Thank
1: you. Sir. Um, circumstantial, heavily, because of all the people I met through the show, and all the people I met before the show even began, and I realized that the kind of conversations I was having there need to be released for the world, need to be shot and shared with the world. Correct. So I again, I think it was the two, the sanctioner and Prakriti <laughs> that enabled this. That's how I look at it. But I thank you for the compliment. So. What I do wish to ask you is I often think about the knowledge I'm gaining through the show. If we're releasing four a week, I'm recording at least six to seven a week and I retain a lot of it. Like at least the important points, I retain all of it. So I can feel my knowledge increasing. I can feel my personality changing. I would like to believe that I can feel smaller and smaller with every conversation because I realize how much I don't know. Right. Right. But then I think of my point of death and I think that I may not even take all this with me. All I'll take is the spiritual progress. Does knowledge flow with you after your life as well? Or do you leave the knowledge behind as YouTube videos?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a brilliant question. Krishna says to Arjuna, Neha Bhikramana nashosti pratyavayo vidyate Swalpam api asya dharmasya So, Arjuna is in paranoia that, Oh, I am going to kill Bhishma, Drona and what will happen and all that. So, Krishna says, Arre Baba, I am telling you to fight. It's your main dharma right now. And then Krishna says that if you have to invest, you have to invest in something which will... Continue beyond time. Whatever investment I make in the body, all the food I have eaten all through the entire life, all the cosmetics which one may put, all the medicines one may take, all of that till death is fine. But beyond death, we have to leave it behind. Therefore, what travels with us, Krishna says, Na iha abhikrama nasha asti. In this abhikrama, which is the acquisition or investment at the spiritual level. And the investment at spiritual level is of five types. First, meditation or chanting, taking the names of Lord and connecting through prayer. Second, Studying the literatures, spiritual literatures. Third, visiting the holy places of temple, temple, synagogues, and all that thing. Fourth, visiting holy places. Like for us, Vrindavan is a holy place, like that. Places where your worshipable Lord has performed some pastimes. Even today in Hiroshima, the radioactivity is there. It affects people. So wherever spiritual activities have happened, the ground radiates with that spiritual vibration, which makes that spiritual practice anukul, easier. And the fifth is that you connect with others who are like-minded and serve with them and discuss with them to enhance your particular kind of faith. So, with this, when you do this on a regular basis, that remains forever. It goes with you. And that's why the story of Ajamil in the sixth canto Bhagavatam comes where Ajamil is a very, very pious person with a wife and knows all the Vedas and everything. He goes to the forest and he sees a prostitute embracing another man in a very, very lusty manner, he becomes affected. Those images affect him and he tries to control his lust. Stambhyam Atman atmanam, Using his intelligence, discrimination, he says, no, I must not succumb. Yavat sattvam Yatashrutam As per what he has understood, intuitively he knows this is sinful, I should not do it. Na shashaka. He's not able to control. Samadhatum is not able to pacify his mind. Mano pitam, because mind is lashed by lusty desires. He leaves his wife, goes and brings this prostitute and starts living with her. And to take care of her and her needs, he starts engaging in criminal activities. Now, at the age of 88, he gets a son known as Narayan. He gets a son and sages who visit the house of his wife they say that he should name Narayan. He names his son Narayan and at the moment of death Yamudutas come and he is so traumatized. There is so much of pain because as we described in our last episode and you have read in Puran, that the pain at the moment of death when the Soul, along with the subtle body, is brought out of the gross body, is equivalent to the biting of thousands of scorpions. So, in that trauma, your mind is focused on that object in which you have invested your emotions. And for Ajamil, it was his son, because he loved him so much. He cried out, Narayan, Narayan, Narayan. And at that time, suddenly, the denizens of Vishnu Dutta, they came of Vishnu Loka the denizens of Vishnu Loka the Vishnu Dutas they came and they said stop you can't take him and then there is a conversation which happens between Yamadutas and Vishnu Dutas and then the conclusion is the Yamadutas surrender and the Vishnu Dutas convince that anybody who has taken even a little bit of name of Lord Mriyamano Harir only at the time of death he took that name He didn't call out to Lord Narayan, he called out to his son. He was not leading a pious life, he was leading a very sinful life. He did not know about the power of the holy name, but still he chanted. So, this particular episode reveals why in India, there was always a tradition of keeping names, following the names of God. If you see the directory, you will have names, Lakshmi Narayan, Sita Raman, Krishna, Krishnamurti. All these names are very common because embedded within our tradition is the moment of death has to be faced with the consciousness of positivity and the consciousness of remembering God. And therefore, parents would keep the children's name after some God's name and therefore at the time of initiation in spiritual traditions, the name is changed so that our identity is recognized. I am Goranga Das. I am a servant. So I remember that identity. That that is my Sanatan identity. And all the other identities are constantly changing.
1: (laughs) How are you feeling about this conversation as compared to the last time?
0: I think it's fascinating. We are going deeper and deeper and you are taking me into this journey in such a fascinating manner that I'm loving every moment of it.
1: Do you have private podcasts with monks? Do well, you all discuss things like this? Like do you all dive this deep?
0: Every day. Every day we have uh, sessions and classes and conversations where we have multiple kinds of, you know, formats for exchanging conversations and realizations.
1: No one that I have met through the show has described the metaphysical nature of reality the way you do and the clarity you do. You know, we are talking about layers of the universe, layers of reality. This is an outcome of years of studying all the scriptures that you've studied. And you always reference, you know, exactly where you've picked up something from, which is I don't know a uh, p- polite you of saying this, but which is a part of your what also as a <laughs> <laughs> knowledge provider on the podcast, you know, uh, because you're able to reference things very specifically. And uh, well, I must express
0: gratitude to my gurus and especially the founder of ISKCON, Srila Prabhupada, who translated all this esoteric Sanskrit works into English. Otherwise, you know, we don't have the bandwidth to study Sanskrit for years together and get into this. Like that. And all, you know, my immediate guru Radhanath Swami and many other gurus from whom we took shiksha from, we call them shiksha gurus. So, you know, there's a verse in Bhagavatam which says if you ever try to think that you can repay the debt towards the gurus from whom you have uh, gained the spiritual knowledge, so you are like a joker. It is not possible. Because what has been revealed, just like a person with a cataract or blindness who has never seen from birth, but somehow a surgeon comes who is able to crack what's wrong with his eyes and gives eyesight, how can that person repay in any financial terms or in any other terms? It's that kind of a feeling.
1: Is there a subject, a topic, a question in your mind now, so many years in? 1993 roughly? Yeah. It's 30 years. That's the year I was born in. 30 (laughs) years in what are the questions in your mind? And what are you seeking now?
0: My biggest uh, question in my mind is how can we transform our education system in India and allow the 27 crore students in the schooling system, in the thousands of schools and the three crore people in our college system the access to the spirituality and their original tradition so that they can have their own Bharatiya Vedic understanding and identity because what I realized was that Indian students are torn between the conflict of being born in India, hearing about certain traditions, not being explained the logic behind the tradition. And therefore, they start interpreting things as ritual. And they don't even see, you know, great examples around them to inspire them to follow that. And then, as against, they also see the culture coming from the West. So they're torn between the hedonism of the West and the mysticism and wisdom of the East. And they are just wondering, what's my identity? What I'm supposed to do? So I think the new education policy with focus on Indian knowledge systems is extremely good. But there is a fascinating uh, report which I saw of a research. I mean, it was in a, a small ecosystem. The research was done, but it revealed that amongst the various traditions and communities and religions of prayer, you know, when they clocked from the age of 5 to the age of 75, the number of minutes spent in prayer, Hindus were clocking on the lower side. And I feel that one of the reasons is, not being exposed to the right kind of body of knowledge when you are in your education system while growing. So at this stage, I'm deeply stirred by a desire to somehow create a body of knowledge and wisdom by which we could actually have a Vedic philosophy course with all your regular courses. And it could be like a 240 hours course 30 hours every semester 6 credit course where in the first semester we teach 30 lectures on Ramayana second semester 30 lectures on Mahabharata third and fourth semester we can teach 60 lectures on the Gita and then seventh you know uh, and then uh, fifth and sixth fifth semester we can teach them on Upanishads and Sadachar how to live according to this knowledge and then sixth seventh and eighth semesters we can teach them about some of the puranas which are like the vedic case studies of how people have grappled with trauma difficulties challenges dharma sankat and how they have dealt with it how they have responded to it so i think if we expose students in college in when they are in the age group of 17 to 22 23 I see an advantage more than when they are children, because when you sometimes force feed children, when they are growing, when they hit 14, 15, they feel, I didn't have the choice. It was forced upon me. Oh, it was my parents' decision, therefore I went to. But when they have this kind of an option, you know, of going through systematically, when they are going through their other subjects, So apart from the skill which they'll learn for their employment, they'll also develop the will to negotiate through multiple experiences of prosperity and adversity in life. So it will prepare them better.
1: Very random input here, but uh, I don't know if you've seen the very old animated Ramayan movie. It was animated by Japanese artists. Okay. Um, my whole generation remembers Ramayan like that. Even more than the TV show. Oh. Yeah. Like we we respect and love the TV show.
0: Yeah. Um, I grew up watching that TV show.
1: Yeah. Ramanan Sagar's uh, Ramayan. Absolutely. Uh, but we also were heavily influenced by this Japanese animated Ramayan. Wow. Which actually ran into a lot of trouble when it was being released in the 80s. Okay. Because people were upset that how can you show Ramayan as an animated movie. But the thing <laughs> is, it was such an impactful film for an entire generation that my passion for Ra- Ramayan, for Hanumanji, for Sitama, it all increased <laughs> through that film. And I know a lot of people my age will say the same thing. Everyone in my team has actually watched that when they were kids. Wow. Been inspired by it creatively. Been inspired enough to enter the creative field and to be able to do the kind of Work that we do today, which is so culturally infused. The dream for me is to actually um, create animated versions of this in that same Japanese anime style, because that's what's taken over the world in terms of culture. Teenagers of today watch a lot of anime from Japan. I feel anime from Japan, the themes, the way the stories are shown are very similar to our epics. Mm. If you're able to show the Mahabharata and Ramayana as an anime, it not only will whitewash this whole generation with the right mm. kind of values but it'll also live on for maybe 100 or 200 years but someone needs to invest time, energy, money in that direction and right now maybe I don't have two of the three. So, uh, it's it's a lifelong project. Another project Absolutely. I have in my head is I want to build video games around like Absolutely. you know, the Ramayana Mahabharata, because every generation needs their own mediums to learn. Fantastic. Um, I think it's a
0: great idea and I really pray that you can, you know, get to doing it because I'm sure because of the kind of passion you have invested in with this kind of emotions, what will come out is authentic and I'm always there to share inputs on, you know, the wisdom part. 100%, we're going to be turning
1: to you. (laughs) I I do sometimes feel that I have all these crazy ideas and I know that this will work from a business acumen standpoint, uh, but my hands are tied right now. You know, podcasts are very easy to create. That's why I do it. That's why I do so many of these. But there will be a day where I just withdraw. I
0: I, I don't agree that podcasts are easy to do because easy and difficult depends on the skill sets of people. So (laughs) I think you have been blessed with that particular skill set that you can connect with a a variety of genres of, you know, people with backgrounds and open up conversations depending on uh, what that other person is into. That's not so easy for everybody. So,
1: <laughs> maybe natural skill set like you know Virat Kohli finds batting easy
0: yeah I find quoting the shlokas easy yeah
1: <laughs> you're born with some natural skill sets which are actually present even in your childhood right you just need to be aware enough to see okay what am I good at absolutely Um, like I, when I was a kid and my teacher used to punish me they used to change my seat huh. and then I'd make that part of the class noisier everyone <laughs> so around me would keep talking called micro podcasts would be going on uh how do you know when it's the right time to withdraw? How do you know when it's the right time to now take a step back from the material journey or the battlefield? Because in my head, I am looking at the end of next year as a point where I actually just withdraw. And we had Sri M on the show, who's also extremely spiritually evolved and I respect him so much. And he also gave me this Arjuna example. He's like, no, 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 this is your time to shoot some arrows. <laughs> and I'm just trying to figure that How do I clarify my own inner compass to know whether it's the time to take a step back? A dream life for me would be to just focus on my spiritual journey. It's slightly selfish. Therefore, to unselfish it, to make it slightly more unselfish, whatever I'm learning through my own spiritual journey, I'll at least put into creative work and put it out for the world. Uh, But... There is a little selfish part of me that wants to just focus my time on my meditation, my scriptural mm-hmm. studies. And then I'm torn between the responsibility I have towards my teammates and the uh, abilities that God has like given me. Right. Podcasting is easy, podcasting mm-hmm. is difficult. I find it easy. I should be doing many more of these. Right, right. How do you know when to take a step back or do you just figure out a balance? <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: give an example. You know, let's look at uh, a cricketer like, say, Virat Kohli or anybody. And let's take a, an athlete, a famous athlete, you know, who's into 100 meter sprint or whatever, long sprints. Usain you, you, Bolt. Uh, Usain Bolt, okay. So, Usain Bolt is full-time into running. That's his profession. That's his goal. He lives for that day and night. He's a full time runner. Well, when Virat Kohli is on the Indian team, when he is in the net practice or when he is beginning the day with his coaches or the team, does he have to run also? The coach makes him run? His teammates make him run? There are certain episodes where he is supposed to run also. Before the game and then during the game. But all that running which he is doing before the game is part of preparation for his real game which is to play cricket. So therefore, there is... If you look at Usain Bolt and Kohli, you may say Usain Bolt is running and Virat Kohli is also running. But the purpose and the context in which Usain Bolt is running and Virat Kohli's running is quite different because Virat Kohli's running is to prepare him better for his game. So therefore, monks like us, we are into like full-time running. Our task is to practice spirituality and teach spirituality, to taste spirituality and share spirituality. We are teachers. But for people like Arjuna, why Krishna chose Arjuna? Because Krishna knew that majority of this world will be with people who will apply the spirituality. So therefore, you don't have to compartmentalize your day. You bring in spirituality as running is important for Virat Kohli so that he can play the game better. So to play the game of life, your spirituality, practice of meditation, study has to be on a regular basis and that acts as a warm-up, an exercise, a workout to prepare yourself for the game. (laughs)
1: Understood. <laughs> Spoke to me in my language. <laughs> you say Kohli, you get my attention.
0: <laughs> I just thought of that example.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. Nowadays, it's also a little bit of Shubman Gill. Oh, so <laughs>
0: I, I'm not much in. You know, I'm not aware of all the details too much.
1: He's the batsman who's broken out in terms of India's a okay. country that constantly produces batsmen. Uh, Shubman Gill's made a place for himself in the Indian okay. team. Ahead of all these other extremely talented batsmen that India constantly produces. I am from the generation of Sunil (laughs) (laughs) Gawaskar. Shubman is showing the potential to enter that same club eventually. It's too early and there's too many factors that can go right and wrong in sports. But he's showing the potential to be India's next batting superstar. I look at this spiritually as well. I think of what someone like Shubman Gill was in his past life Hmm. to have seen the kind of tough childhood that he saw in order to make him mentally ready to practice that heart. And I would go as far as saying to even give him those genetics of being that height, that kind of body shape. It was always in Shubhman Gil's destiny to become this version of Shubhman Gil. At least Mm. till this point. What has that soul's past life been? Mm. Did it truly want fame? Did it truly want success in sport? Mm. Why does God create those journeys for these special famous souls? Right. What What's your take on? See,
0: Janma Aishwarya Shruta Shri Edamana Madappuman Nairvati Abhidatum Vaitvam Twam Gochar So Kunti Maharani, the mother of Arjuna, she says that if someone is born with four things, these four are symptoms that is born with very high degree of piety from the past life just like if someone drives in driving a porsche so you know that you know he has to be of a certain economic bracket the lifestyle is a symptom of what he may have so you may not know his net worth but by the symptoms of where he checks in which hotel what car he drives, what class in flight he takes, you have some idea. Like that, we may not be able to dissect a person's last life's karma. But there are symptoms in this life by which we can know. It says, Janma is a very comfortable birth or a very affluent family or a place where you get connections very easily. You know, Aishwarya, which is prosperity. And Aishwarya is of different types. Strength, fame, knowledge, renunciation. These are all Aishwaryas. Shruta, which is knowledge. If someone is very exceptionally talented in knowledge. And Shri, which is very rich or very famous. All of this can only come when there is a previous pious karma. So therefore, all of us are you know uh, bringing with us a past lifes capital of karmic reactions. But the Gita says that whatever may have been from the past, you have the opportunity to change your future by making the right decisions in the present.
1: There is a saying in the Gita which is related to your abilities, right? Like all abilities are given by the Lord. What is the saying?
0: So, Krishna in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, he explains that in the 10th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, that paurusham nrishu paurusham nrishu means amongst men, I am the ability in men. So, in the 10th chapter, Krishna is uh, giving a list of different, different powerful, stunning, mind-boggling, earth-shattering phenomena which you see. So Krishna says, Yatyat Vibhuti mat just like he says, when you see a shark, the power of that shark should remind you of me. When you see the sun, the heat and the light of the sun should remind you of me. I am that. The cooling mystical moonshine is me. So like that he gives a whole list of, you know, examples in the 10th chapter. And it's known as Vibhuti Yoga. Vibhuti means mystic power. So mystic means you cannot logically process how this is happening. And when you see some stunningly talented uh, people or the meteoric rise some people have, it appears mystic. How can this happen? Doesn't make sense. Can't happen. So Krishna says, Yatyat Vibhuti Mat Satvam. Wherever you say something powerful, something exceptional, rather than becoming envious. Yatyat Vibhuti Mat Satvam Shrimat Urjitam Evava. Something prosperous or powerful. Don't be envious. Sambhava. See that these are nothing but my reflections. It is my power being reflected in a small thing. So that way, rather than becoming envious or competitive, we can actually become respectful to the fact that, oh, this person's talent is nothing but a reflection of Krishna's the Supreme Lord's unlimited talent and bhaga or opulence.
1: Um, because this particular highlight clip will be called discussing Shubhman past life. <laughs> uh, I have to ask you a little bit about the process of rebirth. And I know that now we're using Shubhman for some reason as the example. That man's soul in the last birth Would it have wanted sporting success in this birth along with a lot of positive karmas? Along with probably some sort of athletic ability which he has carried into this birth as well. Is that how the process of rebirth works?
0: There are two elements. One is desire and second is deserve. So unless there is a combination of desire and deserve, as I said, the jiva, the soul desires, the Ishwar, checks whether the person has earned his desire to fulfill. So, only when there is deserve, which combines with desire, then there is the proper discrimination in terms of what should be the output and the result. So, therefore, just hard work has its particular place. But if only hard work was sufficient, then anybody would have worked hard and got what they wanted. So that's why the laws of karma, Krishna says, is very mystical. Yes, on one hand is desire. But on the other side, you have to have some capital of those credits and karma. And when Krishna gives the sanction, then only it manifests. So in response to your question, yes, Based on the desire, one is born in a certain situation combined with carrying all those karmic past and both ignite at a certain moment to create a certain kind of future. So therefore, Dhritarashtra, for, your, for an example, was in the hundred lifetimes before a hunter who killed and destroyed hundred eggs of a bird. But it took him several lifetimes before he could become Dhritarashtra because you need to have sufficient piety to be able to have so many children. But the purpose behind those sons was ultimately Dhritarashtra would have to go through the pain and trauma of losing as a reaction for that. So therefore Krishna says at the very beginning a disclaimer that the laws of karma are gahana karmano gati. Very, very difficult and intricate to understand. We cannot approach it in a very simple cause and effect manner. Even if you use the 100% systems thinking approach, still also you cannot pinpoint what exactly would be the exact reason.
1: This is a great point to bring up the subject of astrology. It's something that I'm naturally drawn towards Not for myself. Mm -hmm. I actually don't wish to know too much about my own future or past or karmas. Because I've learned that the process of prayer and meditation, at least to some degree, erases the effects of astrology. BK Shivani was on the show. And she said that the beginning of your life is a great representation of where your karma stand in terms of your astrological charts. As you grow older, even as you're a teenager, you're accumulating karmas, good, bad. As you grow into your professional life, you're accumulating a higher degree of good or bad karmas. Mm. As you grow older and interact with people, there's an even higher degree of karmas. So your astrological chart does change throughout your life. There is some amount of accuracy in it. And then there is some amount of moldability. What's your take on astrology in general? Yeah.
0: See, the Vedic tradition in the body of knowledge of the Vedas There are the four Vedas Rig, Sam, Yajur, Atharva. Then there are the Upanishads. Then there are the Puranas which are the case studies. There are the Itihasas. The difference between Purana and Itihas is Ramayana and Mahabharata were written when Ram was still performing his pastimes. When Krishna was and the Pandavas were still there. So Apart from that, there is a section which is known as Vedangas. So, part of the Vedangas is Ayurveda, Vyakaran, Nyaya, Chanda and Jyotish. So, all these are elements of knowledge to help a person improve the quality of his life Because as per the Vedic paradigm what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to fulfill your desire while remaining focused on remembering that death is only an opportunity to go back. So therefore life is a preparation death is an examination. So all the Vedic Literatures are like a syllabus which are which is preparing you to have the right kind of facilities because if your body is not healthy, then you cannot do your meditation properly. You will be distracted. So therefore Ayurveda, right? If you want to study the literatures properly, you need the Nirukti, you need the Chanda, you need the Vyakarana. Then only you will be able to understand what the ancient sages are trying to tell us. So similarly, if you are on this journey, one thing you also need is a GPS Mm -hmm. to know where is the next turn coming. So therefore, the GPS in the Vedic tradition was the Jyotish or the Astrology and it was primarily focused on mainly with respect to a woman and man relationship and wealth and profession and health because these are major consideration when it comes to how it can impact your peace of mind so many people have experienced that their life turning upside down because The the partner with whom they connected was not just compatible and they just can't uh, experience a a similar kind of mental state. When people uh, are extremely stressed due to not having means to live, lack of wealth, poverty or sudden collapse, it affects their mind. If the health collapses, it affects the mind. So therefore, Jyotish kind of helps you in one sense, make certain choices which can minimize these damages. But again, it comes with a disclaimer that the purpose is not simply to remain here. Right? The purpose is not just to find your way to the airport. So, Jyotish helps you find the closest and the fastest route to the airport. And the airport is the moment of death. But then you need spiritual knowledge to know which flight to catch. Because if you just get fascinated by this whole journey, you will simply be going round and round the airport, but not make it to the flight. So therefore, Jyotish needs to be taken with a a certain, uh, you know, kind of disclaimer that in And of itself, there is not much of a difference between an astrological advice and a life coach advice and a business coach advice because they are all giving advice on how you can increase your prosperity in this life and minimize your adversity in this life. But they are all talking about till death only. That's how we need to couple it with spiritual knowledge so that then We can reach.
1: Did you ever read your own chart?
0: I have not uh, read systematically or something in a very deep way. But the advantage is there are so many people who are so interested in telling me. (laughs) 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 that Without having to read my own chart, people keep coming and telling me and, you know, they like to keep me as a case study. And they'll suddenly start, hey, I think you must be like this. This is your birth date. So this is like this, this is like that.
1: (laughs) But what is there in your chart? Like in terms of this monkhood oriented life, was this predestined?
0: Well, you know, I've never ventured and asked anybody or analyzed that. But to be honest, uh, I do uh, have many astrologer friends. And I do have a lot of uh, friends who are astrologers who are experts in understanding the energies of space. So I do, I have utilized uh, some of their services with respect to clearing energies in certain spaces with the kind of uh, skill they have. So because, you know, as organization, we have properties and various places and each place comes with its background and, you know, baggage of history of what, used to happen in those places and all. All that has an impact on the energy in a particular place. So,
1: Vastu Shastra.
0: So, Vastu is kind of little different because Vastu only helps you understand how the different uh, spaces which you have designed currently, how it's impacting you. But it doesn't tell you anything about the past of that particular land. So, this kind of astrological knowledge is kind of taking an X-ray of that particular dharti or that particular land. And, you know, there are all these traditions and very systematic scriptures where these are experts in and they kind of uh, do it. But again, I would say that, you know, although those verses may be in Sanskrit and the Gita and Bhagavatam is in Sanskrit, but we can call these astrologers as the life coaches, the traditional life coaches, whereas we still are the monks, who are more focused on the spiritual knowledge on the journey beyond death
1: um 30 years in you're still meditating every day and following your routine of course because that's the core of what you have chosen for this life is it a rude question to ask you if you have come near being enlightened or if you're already enlightened <laughs>
0: I can say that I I feel fortunate to be able to serve the enlightened and my desire and intensity to serve those who are enlightened and share whatever level of enlightenment I have received with others, that itself is so satisfying that this question doesn't arise only. Yeah.
1: Maybe that's the Virat Kohli oriented thinking and me thinking, oh, I want to get <laughs> that target. <laughs> but I love what you're saying. you the most saddest. Like, that's how the, there's a difference in mindset and which is why this brings me to the end of the podcast, sir. Um, sure. You don't know how much I was looking forward to this conversation. Oh, with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like, these are just gifts to me. There are two conversations which I consider gifts. One are the cricket conversations. <laughs> these are the second kind. <laughs> Where uh, in these conversations, it's the kind of stuff that I am supposed to hear. Okay. Um, I never prepare for my spiritual chats on this show. Okay. Uh, It's the privilege of my life to get to talk to you, to get to learn from you. Uh, I hope every single time that I've done justice to these conversations. And then when I review them on our edit table, I know that, okay, at least it was authentic. Fantastic. I think that's what people connect with, sir. Great. So just really very very grateful that you thank came you. to my house that you're in my studio trust me this studio is built because of the energy of past podcasts right speaking to you the last time was a very big turning point yeah. Um, I don't know how to convey this but I feel like gifting you whatever we've been able to consecrate in this studio so thank you for coming here it means Thanks. so much to me that you've come home thank you um, this is a moment I was looking forward to for a very long time
0: thank you so much Ranbir for doing what you're doing and you know taking the time out to get into such an in-depth conversation on spirituality and trying to understand the core essence of what spirituality is and not just to learn but you have such an intense desire to practice on a regular basis and i'm sure that intensity of desire to practice will facilitate situations for you in such a way that you will become, you know, like Virat Kohli, able to run in the morning and play cricket in the day, practice spirituality at some point on a regular basis and then do what you're doing most effectively in the
1: day. Thank you, sir. Virat Kohli metaphor hit me straight in the heart. (laughs) (laughs) Gauranga Das Prabhuji, thank you. My God, I I can't thank you enough, sir. Um, uh, Just very grateful to you. Thanks. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was the episode for today. The nature of reality. Um, I've reached this own moment in my spiritual journey where these are the exact questions I want to learn more about. And sometimes when I think about these questions and I think about my own timeline, I realize that I'm probably a little late in my spiritual journey. But that's also when I feel good for you guys, especially you college students, you young professionals who are in your early 20s. Trust me, the kind of information you're getting from minds like this, not just through TRS, but through all these podcasts on YouTube, you're living in the age of information. According to me, after learning about so many subjects through the show, I feel that spiritual information is the most valuable. Because in the long term, it's not about how big your bank account is or how famous you are. It's about the amount of love in your heart and it's about the amount of compassion that your soul feels for other souls. So keep growing, keep evolving and keep having that hunger for knowledge because happiness can only enter your mind when curiosity is already present. It's TRS, it's happiness through curiosity and lots of spiritual conversations are going to be back very soon.